This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. I'm Cindy Adams, Madam Adams from the Monday through Thursday columns in the New York Post. (laughs) I feel like a little dish. Matt Damon's new movie is Stillwater. It just premiered. The film is based loosely on the front-page story a while back about that young American girl, Amanda Knox. She was put on trial for murder in Italy, served four years in jail before the verdict was overturned. So here's how the premiere went. Sentries outside, guards inside, selected elevators, special VIP tickets, long lines, vaccination-proof cards required, Staffers screened you. It was ropes, lines, reporters placed in plastic cubby holes. Prisoners had more freedom in Guantanamo. Forget ushers. You needed you needed MDs. The invite read, Do not attend if experiencing flu-like symptoms or have fever, persistent cough, shortness of breath, or were diagnosed with CV or exposure to someone who's had it. Okay, after you go through all that, then the movie. So, Matt Damon plays the young girl's construction worker father, and Matt told me, we filmed some of it in Oklahoma. It was great. Roughnecks there became my friends. I was ready 7.30 every morning, and they took me all over the state, showed me their oil rigs and the work that they do. First, they were a little apprehensive, like, you making fun of us? After they understood what we were doing, they were great. They invited us home, met their families, took me to barbecues. They were great. About the movie Stillwater, he told me, I filmed some rough scenes, like with the girl's European lawyer giving me the runaround. I grabbed his pen, and the action was like I didn't have it all together. And in a flash of violence, I throw the pen across the room. Okay. As Matt's telling me this, one of those Oklahoma pals who slept with him to the premiere came over to say, We gave beer and steak and rigo potatoes to Matt. What's a rigo potato? Stuffed with squash, mushrooms, onion all thrown together and steamed up, and then we added beans, salad, and chocolate cake. After hearing that menu... I walked away from both of them. Now a little station break, and I'm right back. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Margot Katsimatidis is a beautiful blonde. She was once a ballerina, which we'll ask about. She's been 40-ish years or more the wife of John Katsimatidis, who, like crabgrass, is suddenly everywhere, He's owner of this WABC radio station, owner of the new Staten Island Yankees ball club, owner of the most New York City grocery chains, owner of airplanes, oil wells, etc. But what you don't know is about this terrific gal behind him, his wife, Margot Katsimatidis. First, who are you? Where did you grow up? Hi, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Um, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And since I was 12, I always dreamed about coming to New York. So I had to wait until I got good enough 
at ballet, which at 12 years old, I did dance with the Bolshoi Ballet the first time they came to the United States. How did you dance with the Bolshoi? They came to Indianapolis, and I was chosen. And uh, it was one of the biggest thrills of my life, and they were wonderful. So it gave me an opportunity and a hope and a dream that I knew that I could make it anywhere. Okay, tell me about your family. Where are they from? Well, my mother is from Poland. My grandmother's from Russia. My grandfather was from the Ukraine. And my father was an Army intelligence officer, and he found my mother and grandparents in a concentration camp in Krakow, and he rescued them, and he brought them to America, so to Indianapolis, Indiana, where um, I was born. So, but that's a background that I would never have have known. How did they come here? How did they have any money? How did they come? No, my father um, had saved a four-star general's life, and he gave special passage to my mother and grandparents to come to America. And they worked very hard and very grateful, and they loved America more than anything in the world, the freedom of being able to do anything. So we worked very hard, very hard, all of us. Did they live long enough to see what became of their daughter and how successful? Did they see all that? Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. Where did you take them? Where did, you, where did they see you? Well, my mother had come to New York a few times, um, and my parents moved from um, Indianapolis to Florida, and uh, I still brought my mother here, and God rest her soul, and my father, they're both passed on. Okay, that's that's great because we we just don't know anything about you. We we don't know anything about you. Tell me about being a ballerina. Did you go to school as a kid, a dance school? I I started ballet when I was about uh, nine years old. My sister started when she was eight years old, and I started because I had a problem with my feet and my knees, and we couldn't afford braces. So my mother put me in ballet, and I ended up being very strong. And uh, I learned how to dance, and I went from the back of the room to the front of the room. So my sister and I became the Vandersar sisters. And uh, my sister actually came to New York at 14 and a half years old, and I came to New York at 16 and a half years old. So... Um, I came to New York with $100 in my pocket, and I felt like I came home, and nothing could stop me. There was no negativity, nothing. I just moved forward. You are terrific. How did you meet John? How did that happen? So I, when I came to New York, I was recuperating from a knee surgery, so I couldn't perform. And there was this guy that opened a supermarket on uh, near where I lived, and I went in to get a job temporarily until I could heal. And they said, you know, they're looking for people in the office to work. So I went to the office and I went for the interview and I got the job. And it was a guy named John Katzmatidis, who was a cook and the bottle washer cook. and a dishwasher. So he did everything. So he was the boss. He was the owner. And uh, I ended up learning 
loving business so much. I worked 90 hours a week. I didn't care. I was like a sponge. It was such an amazing uh, business. And to watch him, what he was able to do, I, I was just... He's still amazing to this day. We're together 49 years. He's still amazing. You know what's amazing? This is a magnificently beautiful blonde who has two gorgeous children, and her husband is everywhere. And he's now owns the Staten Island Yankees or whatever the hell it is, and she does parties for thousands of people at a time. Listen to where she came from. Tell me now, I have to know, I go to your parties. Every time I go to a party, it's a thousand people and it's an orchestra and I don't know how that happens. You do that all the time. How does a party like that begin? Well, for me, when I do a party, I have to do it from my heart. And I do it for my husband because I love him so much and I try to do what's going to please him and everyone there because in life you know we all have happy days and sad days so when I do a party I want people to be happy and to remember the joy of that night which means what which means how do you get like you did a party and you gave it was something for Judge Judy and me and you gave us bobbleheads <laughs> neither of us have ever had a bobblehead Judge Judy has hers in her in her home in Greenwich. I have mine in New York. How did you come up with that? Well, you're both two very special people, and you, especially to me, I, I love you very much, and I wanted to do something that you both could share together as a gift, and that is what I came up with. Okay, I don't know how you even get a bobblehead. How do you know how to start <laughs> getting one? Well, I went on the Internet and put some of your pictures together and designed it and uh, sent it to them, and it came out pretty good. It certainly did. And you also did a 1,000 people, or how many people did you do for a Madison Avenue festival? Uh, oh, you, the, for the Scholarship Fund Festival, we had 1,200 people every year and did the seating because there were a lot of single people. There had been a lot of marriages out of there. We gave a lot of scholarships to kids so they could go on with their college education because education is so important. And you got to give kids a chance. you got to give them confidence and courage that somebody cares about them. So we were there to try to give a helping hand. What did you do at Coney Island? I saw your picture in the paper with Coney Island. I don't understand what you did there. Uh, you don't even have wardrobe for Coney Island. <laughs> so I'm looking at you with your gold and all the gorgeous stuff you've got on. No, 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 Coney Island, it was so much fun because my husband built these beautiful buildings there. But uh, we were at the Maimonides Park, and I threw out the first pitch. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I hadn't played baseball since... I was in grade school, so I really enjoyed that. And it was great for my husband and for the station. You also did something. Now, you have to correct me because I, I might get it wrong. For thousands of kids, what was that for thousands of kids at one time? Well, that's for the Police Athletic League, and um, they take care of 40,000 kids a year from all the boroughs, special after-school programs and things like that, so... My husband decided one day, he got up at a meeting and says, Margo, we're doing a party for a 1,000 kids from all five boroughs 
for a holiday party because these kids have nothing and so many other kids have everything. I said, okay. So I called the vendors and I just put things together and I got uh, gifts for the kids, bicycles, uh, a gift to take home, um, even hygiene things, for things for their mother and father. So we made a party and we, we have all kinds of games for them and performers and the kids themselves now perform at the PAL. So it's really been a wonderful um, inspiration for them too. Okay, I understand all that and I've been to so many of your parties. What I don't understand for some nice lady listening who, like me, doesn't know how to do these things, how do you start? Do you start with the computer? Do you start with calling people? How do you start functioning a gigantic party? Um, well, I start by <clears throat> having to order everything for the party for the kids, and then we come up with a theme, and then we work on the entertainment. Then we have to work on the busing to get the kids from all the boroughs. So there's a lot of moving parts, and you just kind of go through each one. It just comes naturally. <laughs> How we're gonna do it? Did you ever not? Did it ever not work? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the kids love it. They have such a great time. They don't want to leave. We we've expanded it and and added more things to it every year. So it's really great. You also saved lives. Now this, I mean, this lady has done a great deal, and I know her well. And she, it should be told. When John had a time and he was in the hospital. You taught everybody how to clean a hospital room. Uh, yes, and that's actually thanks to, well, I have taken care of many people in my life, um, including my parents and grandparents, etc. my husband. Uh, anyway, um, but Betsy McCoy, with yes, the, yes. she taught me a lot about germs and this is before the covid and all that now they're they're writing about that that hospitals have to be cleaned tell us what you did well i took uh, alcohol and everything and i and i wiped everything down i wouldn't even let a nurse come in unless she changed her gloves i wouldn't let a doctor touch my husband unless they changed their gown i wouldn't let him touch anyone i was with taking care of and you have to be careful of all those things, even mopping the floors. I wouldn't let them come in mopping the floor next door. They had to change the mop before they came into the room my friend was in. So you had to just watch everything continually. But if you're not Margot Katzmatidis, how can you push around hospital personnel? Well, you do it nicely. I mean, you try. If not, you grab the mop yourself and do it. There's a story that I read just recently in the papers about the hospitals. You can get, if you come in even semi-healthy, you can go out ill because of the hospital. And I remembered your story, but I just didn't know how anybody listening can help themselves. They just have to be very aware and very cautious. I mean, anything that you touch or, or you see anybody touch, or you just have to keep washing and cleaning and changing. It's, it's, you have to watch everybody. You're also on the board for the Alzheimer's. Yes, I work very closely. That's closely. how we originally met, yes. you and I, a thousand years ago. 
Uh, are you going to tell that story? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm not telling you. Yes, story. I work very closely with uh, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan. She's such a wonderful lady, and she took such great care of her mother. And I loved her very much for that. So no one in my family has Alzheimer's, but I, I wanted to help. And hopefully I did make some difference over the years. Are you still working for Alzheimer's? I do, just not as much as I did, no. Not as much as I did, but I'm still there. When Yasmin calls me, I'm there when she needs me. I think you do an an awful lot of things. You've helped save lives. What did you do here at WABC? Didn't you have something to do with the decor, or or not the decor, or establishing stations and offices? You did something. What did you do? I don't know. I just did that Margot thing. I just what is the Margot <laughs> thing you did? What did you do? I kind of went through, and it's just common sense things like they needed a nice coffee maker, and they needed snacks in the kitchen, and they needed fresh fruits and whatever I could give them. They needed cleaning supplies so the tables are sanitary, and, and just the little things I do. Working on the green room now, which I'm very excited about. So, yeah, we just keep expanding and growing, and and it's like a family here. So if someone needs something, they let me know. Well, this lady, who is now wearing a designer blouse and a gold necklace and earrings and all the rest of it, is it true that you were thinking once about becoming a nun? Yes, I was. Um... Back in Indiana, before I left, I uh, was in church six days a week. I used to kneel on the concrete, whatever you call the floors, let my knees bleed so God would hear me. I mean, I was very religious because I just prayed for a better tomorrow. What about the Greek Orthodox Church? I know John is very involved in that. Yes, he is. He's a vice chair. Um, He is the highest lay person of the Greek Orthodox Church. He believes also in bringing all religions together. Um, In my house, I grew up Catholic and Russian Orthodox, so it was easy for me to go from Catholic to being Greek Orthodox. It's very similar um, religions. Um, Catholics believe in the Pope and the Orthodox believe in the Patriarch who is like the Pope in their religion but all in all it's about doing what's right for people and doing the best for people I once went to the Greek Orthodox Church for a pre-Easter and I never got out till like 5 o'clock in the morning I mean what is it with the Greeks and, and the Easter it was an interminable service yeah, they do go pretty long, I must say. <laughs> but uh, now some of the services, especially out at Father Alex's church in Southampton, they're only about an hour and a half, which is great. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, I would, I would think so. I, I would definitely, I would definitely think so. When you came to New York, you you injured your knee and you could not dance. Is that it? Did you ever try to dance again? Uh, no, I did. I did, and actually, I left. And because my life's dream was to have a soloist contract offered to me in Europe. So I went to Switzerland, and I auditioned. 
and the director said, Ms. Von der Sar, we're offering you a soloist contract. And I said, no, thank you. Because my knee was so bad, I'd already had two surgeries on it, and I knew it just wasn't going to work. My sister was prima ballerina for many, many years. Where was Europe. she prima ballerina? In the with the Dutch National Ballet. She's actually in New York um, this week, setting another ballet for a company. But uh, yeah, ballet runs in the family. That's what about? Okay, we know that John nearly ran for mayor. We wanted him. Were you supportive? Absolutely. I mean, we went to three to five boroughs a night, seven days a week. I thought he would be the best mayor. Me too, me too, me too. Yeah, really terrific because, you know, John grew up in Harlem. He grew up poor. I grew up poor in Indiana. So we understood what it is to struggle and, and to go forward and do better and help people. So that's what we're about always, about helping people and getting better. So I really thought he would be great at it. And he did want to do the World's Fair, and I thought that was terrific. Of course, I would have to put it together, but, yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> You've now got stores all over New York, Florida, Bahamas, the Virgin Islands. How does it, how did, how did this grow like this? It just kind of happened. You know, it's kind of like, you don't think about it. You You just... I never realized, John. It's like I know what we have, but I don't think about what we have. I think about how many jobs did we save? How many jobs did we create? How many families are we feeding? And that's what we're about, making a difference in people's lives. Well, you make a difference in my life because every birthday you send me Malamars. You don't send me jewelry, or you don't send me anything. No. You send me Malamars. How did no, that happen? It's the personal touch. <laughs> no, I, I know that it's great. Okay, we've got you with airplanes. I know that I've been on your airplane, and I know you've loaned the airplane to some of the famous names. Does John own airplanes? Well, we have one airplane now, but John did start... Um, he wanted to be a pilot. He became a pilot. I was his co-pilot for a long time. Oi, I'm not flying with you yet. No, uh, pretty good. <laughs> so anyway, um, and then uh, he started expanding and, and doing things, flying people to Atlantic City, this and that. We grew up to 50 corporate jets, and then we sold it, which now became net jets. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And then he owned... Another airline, Capital Airline, we were in Tel Aviv, we were all over the world. So, yes, I was involved in every aspect of that, too. So, yeah, we've been kind of busy. I mean, it's, uh, were you but busy? it's nice. Were you there also <laughs> when he bought Pantry Pride in Florida? From uh, absolutely. How did that happen? And, well, that's another story, and John should actually tell you that one day. But, yes, we bought all the Pantry Pride stores in uh, Florida. And you bought Revlon. No, no, no. John bought Pantry Pride so Ron could buy Revlon. I'm not sure I understand all that. Okay. But you don't, <laughs> so you don't get any free makeup or anything? That's No, 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 no. I, I pay retail. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. And what I don't get free groceries either. I pay retail. What? You don't get free groceries from no. Gristides? You own Gristides? Listen, I never took an apple out of the store. 
for free. Always paid for everything. If I start doing it, you know, we have thousands of employees. I don't do that. I pay for everything. So I pay for it. Go- we pay for it going in, and I pay for it going out when I take it home. Yeah. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, Tell no. me anything else. Okay. What else can I get off you? Now, the major, the minor league in Staten Island. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. And it has all this, the music stars in ABC. Stop reading the paper. <laughs> Stop reading the paper. I'm, I'm not. I'm, all I'm the just papers <laughs> away from you. Just tell me, how did that happen? The minor league in Staten Island. And I'm not going to let you read anything. Okay. No, no. So John got a call one day and said, hey, you want to buy into this team and <laughs> minor league? And he said, sure, because we love baseball. So it's turning out that... Um, it's going to be a really great thing because we're not only going to we're totally renovating the stadium, which is going to be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to be able to do concerts because you know we have cousin Brucey, Tony Orlando, so we have all these you people Joe on weekends. I'm Joe P- and Deanna Martin. You told me not to read. No, no, but I'm just I, kidding. I can read. I can read. You can. And Deanna Martin and Constantine yeah. Maroulis. Yeah. So we can do huge concerts out there. Um, and John would love to do the first outdoor largest movie theater outdoors. And with all kinds of food vendors and everything. It's like going to a drive-in, but you're sitting in a seat and you're getting food. And I think it would be a lot of fun. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you make that happen? Oh, it'll happen. We'll just you may do Staten it. Staten Island? That's a big schlep to get to Staten Island. Well, <laughs> no, well, the ferry, you just take the ferry, it's free. You take the free ferry. Okay, okay. I will take so. the free ferry. Okay, okay. And I want to thank you. I, I want to thank you. What can, else can I ask you that you will answer that you would like us to know about Margot Katsimatidis? What would you like to know? What would you like to tell us? Hmm. Besides dead air time. <laughs> Besides your breathing. What? I, I, I just want to say that um, we get up every day, John and I, and we are like a team. So that's why I keep saying John and I and not just me. But we always try to make a difference. We always try to move forward. We always try to help people. And, and that's basically who we are. Thank you very much. And the, all I can say is when you're finished helping everybody, you can give me your necklace and we're all finished. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you very, very much. Thank you, Cindy. Margot Katzmatidis. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Selena Maison-Pierre is a yoga teacher. Now, I don't know from yoga. If someone dropped a $100 bill, I'd hire someone to pick it up. I don't bend. I don't run. I'm lucky I can walk. So to be polite and be nice, don't insult me. I'm going to be very patient about yoga. She is a radiance coach and a yoga teacher. She is a lead teacher on training programs for emerging yoga teachers. I am now about to ask Selena, what is yoga? That is the biggest question I think we could have started with. What is yoga? Yoga means a couple different things to different people, I would say. Um, The practice of yoga is purely 
one of tuning in. So in modern day society, when we think of yoga, you think of stretching and lengthening and going upside down and big gymnastic like backbends. That's not really yoga. Yoga is something that you do every day that draws you into being present. And so traditionally, when we think of the yoga practice and we think of the what we call asanas, those are the poses, that's just a means to drop in. But you can do that in your own consciousness, can you not, without writhing and exercising and contorting, can't you? You certainly can. If we think of yoga as the means to really drop in, traditionally you would do a yoga practice of moving your body to open up to be able to sit comfortably in meditation. Well, this began at the dawn of civilization. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It began thousands of years ago. I mean, Marie Antoinette didn't do yoga, so it came from something. Where did it start? Oh, gosh. How did, how did travel all the way to the very beginning of yoga? Um, lots of different ideas of where it came from. I won't be able to pinpoint the very first yoga class in the entire world. Um, but dating back into Eastern cultures, and then when it became a little bit more, I don't want to say popular, but a little bit more of a group practice, it was very much about strength and power. So militaries used to use yoga as a way to ground and build a sense of power within their physical body. And then it started moving forward in meditation, and it came to the West through dance, actually, through the dance community. Well, if it started in the East... Marco Polo didn't do yoga. Shiva, was he the first yogi? I mean, how did, who, what? Who, I wish I had an answer for you. I don't have a specific person that we can trace it down to because there's many different lineages of yoga as well where they all came from. What kind of, what, what does that mean, lineages? There are different kinds of yoga? There are different kinds of yoga, yes. So what, what what does that mean? What When you think of yoga today, you probably think, like I mentioned, these gymnastic postures and yes. um, push-ups and what's called chaturanga and downward-facing dog. That's called a, that's a vinyasa style of yoga. So there's a flow, there's a breath, there's movement, there's strength. There's also yoga called yin yoga, which is very slow, gentle stretching and Yin being the opposite of yang, yang being a vinyasa class where you're building heat and fire and breath, yin being where we're doing the opposite of that, where we're being cooling down. It's very much in the muscles and ligaments and bones. So those are just two. I mean, there's many kinds of yoga. I'm sure you've heard of Bikram yoga, which has quite a political drama to it with Bikram himself. Um, many different lineages. I have no idea what you just said. You don't? Zero idea. Oh, gosh. You must Google Bikram. I think that he no, had... No, of course I do. Okay, no, good. Of course okay, I do. Of course good. I do. But before I go into anything else, I want to say that this lady is really beautiful. She is slim. She has a lovely face. So there must be something to it, even though I don't know what the hell it is. There's karma yoga, dream mm. yoga, mantra yoga. What, what does all that mean? Just different ways to get to the same same place, different paths to get to the same place. You can't do that with just exercise? No. Exercise is a disembodiment. That's a bold statement that I just said. But I feel as though exercise is a disembodiment of people working out, working towards some goal, but you're not really present in your experience unless you're a very mindful exerciser, which I don't think very many people are. Yoga is less about exercise. Yes, you get strong. Yes, you get long and lean and taller. 
Um, but it's really more about building presence in the practice. So you're stretching, but you're being aware of what you're stretching. Whereas if you go to the gym, most of us are hopping on the elliptical and just kind of like tuning out and watching the Kim Kardashians. Or if you're lifting weights, you're just sort of like pumping and moving through, getting on to the next thing. Yoga's Yoga is more about dropping in, about being really mindful and present with the experience and getting really comfortable in your body, which I think is very different than exercise. How did you and why did you get into this? I mean, you're so pretty. Why? This is the only thing you could find to do? This is the only thing that I could do. (laughs) How did I get into yoga is um, I was on a competitive dance team in high school And when I decided to quit dance, I quit a year early than everyone else. And I had all this free time. And and so I joined the YMCA. And at the YMCA, I started going to yoga classes. And I keyed into it because it was a really similar similar experience in my body as dance of slow and stretching and becoming one with my body. So I felt really, really similar to what I was familiar with. And then I started noticing that I was much more relaxed and less stressed out. And it just was a a full body, full mind, full kind of psyche experience. Okay. I, I really don't quite understand. It supports you in asking, who am I now? And I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that. If you're schlepping and, 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 and stretching and carrying on and coughing, What's it got to do with your real essence? Mm, it's dropping in beyond all that so that you're coughing, but then you come back and you're schlepping, but you've got this sacred space on the mat. And why is it always on a, on a mat? And it's always lying down, mm. isn't it? It is not always lying down. Why is it always on a mat? I suppose you could ask why are some religions always in church? Like, what is the sacred place that you always come to? So you don't necessarily need a mat, but there's a sense of rolling out a mat, and that's part of the ritual of arriving to your practice. How many times a day do you do this? Do I practice? Once a day. But that doesn't mean it's always an hour. That could mean 15 minutes. That could mean just a couple of simple stretches. Um, But in terms of like an hour-long class, probably four times a week. Could you not stretch or do some of those exercises without it being whatever yoga is? Absolutely. And that's what challenges this idea of yoga needing to be in a class in this really sweaty, aggressive setting. That, that's why I said in the very beginning, that is not yoga. Yoga is your practice. There are people who are crazed mm. for yoga. Crazed. I had a, a doctor on recently who was telling me, that your body responds to your spiritual being. And he said, what's great for it is yoga. But I'm trying desperately to understand, truly, if you're lying on a mat and you're stretching and you're doing all of that, how is that helping your subconscious? Tell me that. Truly, I don't understand. That's such an honest question. You're using the body as the gateway or portal into the mind and consciousness. So by using the body as anchors, so we use the breath as an anchor, your breath is presence. So if you can anchor your awareness into your breath, you are anchoring your awareness into the present moment. That means you're anchoring your mind into the present moment. And so that's how you start to develop a stronger practice of being really present, of consciousness, and of what the doctor said of spirituality being kind of just as important as your health and fitness. So the mantra is part of that? You do a mantra as well? 
Not every yoga class will involve a mantra, but a mantra is something, yeah, it's starting to take ownership of your mind. It's starting to realize that you are an observer of your mind. Your mind doesn't guide you. Your mind isn't you. You're merely an observer of it. And so a mantra is a way to always bring your awareness back to your back to who you actually are, your essence, what you said. Well, I've lived in India. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you have. I have not. And I don't see everybody lying down on a mat doing this stuff. But it's very, very big here in the United States. So why has it gone so large? Why has it spread so? I think it is a reaction to the speed that our culture moves in. And I think what's happening, especially in this last year, two years, is a real awakening of people realizing the way that we've been living our lives so far isn't sustainable in so many areas. And yeah. so yoga kind of is a gateway for a lot of people into starting to experience whether it's just slowing down, whether it's their spirituality, whether it's going deeper into consciousness. Yoga is sort of taken off because I think people are really desperate for another way. I think that's true, but that could come from spirituality, too. That could come from religion, too. That could come from your consciousness, too, Absolutely. without doing all the stretching. Could it not? It could, and that's why I say yoga necessarily or isn't necessarily just the stretching, just the physical aspect. It's merely a practice of a gateway in, and we talk about yoga sort of being your personal religion, your individual religion. What about your family? What do they think of you? I don't think my parents quite understand what I do. <laughs> do they do they do this? Um, I have gotten my mom to do some yoga and she's like, I feel so much better. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and what have you gotten your mother to do? Um, to do, you know, some cat cows, which are um, Ooh, undulations what, what? of the spine. They're called cat cows. And it's where you stand or you're on all fours, so hands and knees, and you just move your spine forward and back. And your spine is sort of the central channel of all of the nerves of the body up into the brain. And so when we experience back problems or tightness in our spine, we're not getting the full experience of living our lives because the sensation from the rest of your body isn't traveling to your brain. So if we want to get to a very like physical level of yoga, we're opening up these channels to have a greater experience in our life. I don't life. know what the hell you just said. I mean, oh, I have gosh. no idea in the whole world. <laughs> I just know you're so pretty and you're so slim and you're so adorable. And I'd like to know. Okay, so a yoga development course, how does it start? How does some buffoon like me schlep in and say, hi, I want to take three lessons and lie down on a mat. How does this work? <laughs> so are you saying a development course in like if you were a beginner and you wanted to yeah, try yoga yeah. for the very first yeah, time? Yeah. So which every I don't, which I she don't. Does not. not at all. Very yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, go ahead. So different studios will probably have different approaches to what beginner's yoga is. But if you are a beginner, if you've never tried yoga before, there's plenty of online YouTube videos that you can tune into or um, the studio that I teach at called Sky Ting Yoga based in lower Manhattan. We have Sky Ting TV and you can tune into online classes for beginner yoga, which are just going to give you the basics. And what I said, cat cow is probably one of the basics, just really simple body movements to tune in and slow down. And as a beginner, sometimes getting especially as a New Yorker, laying on your mat is one of the most difficult things you could possibly do. Lying Doing on your mat. Doing nothing. Lying on your mat. Yes. 
not laying. Ooh, <laughs> lying on your mat. So when you have a few minutes for English, forget about the yoga. <laughs> oh, you're so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my dad he's a grammar nerd. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So there are various kinds. I, I made a note: hatha yoga, mm-hmm. kunda, kunda, uh, kundalini. kundalini. What are the various? Yogis, yogis, yog, yogurts. <laughs> What's the plural? Yogas? Yo- yogis? Me, you're yogis. asking? Yes, yogis. So what are you Are you asking? What are these different kinds that I've written mm. down that I don't understand? Yeah, so like I mentioned in the very beginning, a vinyasa yoga class is going to have a lot of flow and breath. A hatha yoga class is much slower, and you're going to hold poses and breathe in the poses. Kundalini is another form of yoga, which is much more sitting, chanting, breathing, waving your arms all around. Lots more like activating of what they call your life force, your kundalini. Do you have a man in your life? I do. And does he do this? He has never been to a class, but he likes to breathe and meditate and I give him yoga stretches. But why has he not been to a class? Because he does not want to move fast. He wants to stretch and slow down. So he's scared to go to a traditional yoga class because he doesn't want it to move really fast. Okay. And why does it always require the mat? And why does it always require the same schmatas that they wear, the the, the, the leotards or whatever it is? <laughs> you can wear whatever you want to wear. No, 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 they all class. wear... We do they, all wear the same thing. Yeah, so what is that stupid outfit? What, what, what do they... Why? Well, I like to wear tight-fitting clothing so that I can move my body really free of of constriction, I suppose. So that's where a leotard would come in. And also, you know, when you do yoga and you feel really strong and beautiful in your body, you kind of want to show it off. Ah, that that I understand. (laughs) So if someone like me Mm -hmm. can't do anything, what would be the first thing I would have to do if I want to try this with bones that are not able to do anything or don't want to? So what... I do you get really comfortable with your breath how you could sit here right now close your eyes and you could count five inhales and exhales you want to do it five inhales and exhales it's going to be very quiet on the air (laughs) I can guide us through okay go ahead we'll do Um, three so let's close our eyes you're going to sit up nice and tall relax your shoulders yes we're going to take a normal breath in so no pressure just breathe in I'm breathing in. And breathe out. See, you're doing great. I feel better already. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to do two more. Breathe in. Through the Uh, mouth, exhale. uh, Relax your shoulders. And one more. A sandwich would be even better. (laughs) Okay, so another one. Um, So... Do I feel better already? With you tell me. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's the first thing, is the breathing. Mm-hmm. Then what is the second step? Then I would get comfortable moving your body. So if you were brand new to yoga, sitting with the breath is kind of your closest or easiest way into being really present. If you've never moved your body before, lift your arms up over your head. lower them down like just so simple because it's not about necessarily what you're doing it's how you're doing it the presence and intention that you're bringing to what you're doing i don't understand if i were to clap put my hands over my head and clasp them and then release them what does that do what are you saying 
You are reaching your arms up overhead. You're going to get a stretch through the sides of the waist. You're going to elongate your body so that you have more breath coming into your lungs. We're physically like opening up through the lung tissue. And then when you release your arms down alongside of you and exhale, like that's a full round of breath. You just were really present in that and you're more open. That's yoga. So can you eat a big fat Italian no. dinner <laughs> and then lie on a mat and do one, two, three? Can you you can't you can't you eat pasta? You can, can eat pasta, absolutely. I just wouldn't go upside down after eating a big Italian dinner. Well, what can you eat and then do your yoga? I mean, what tuna sandwich? What? Real traditionally you would not eat for about two hours before you do yoga. And you'll start to see why when your body, you, your body feels heavier when you're really tuned into the body. What is it that, who does it most? Ladies, men, which? Ladies. In America, ladies. And that's part of how it got brought to America. It started in the dance community, which was women primarily. Um, but I am seeing more and more men get into yoga. What are they wearing? Leotards? They're wearing shorts and t-shirts. Why are they getting into it? For what reason? Some of them maybe because they know the secret of where to find beautiful women in the city. Also, yeah, I got that. I got <laughs> I that. Say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, others, I think, are equally as curious. I think that the stigma around it being just women is starting to fall away, and men are curious as to some of the mental health benefits, some of the stress and nervous system benefits, and um, I think just interested in a different experience. What does it cost to go to your school? To take a single yoga class. That'll probably vary around the city. Skyting yoga is now $30 a class. But don't they buy a, a, a whole set of classes? So you can, yeah, different studios will do five class packages, 10 class, some memberships. And how long is a class? About an hour, typically. Some studios might offer 90 minutes. That's what it used to be. And now we've kind of shortened it. And some studios might even offer 30 minutes. But that's not enough time to... Unravel, mm -hmm. is it? I don't believe so, no. I really think you need the full hour. Can't you just touch your toes and walk? Seriously. Are you going to walk while touching your toes? No. Can't. <laughs> don't be a smartass, <laughs> will you? Can't you just touch your toes and or walk? Doesn't that give you the same stretching? And It gives you the same stretching, but, I mean, if you did that purely present in the moment with open consciousness, you would get a lot of the same benefits of a yoga practice. Um, that's like I said, any, anything could become a yoga practice. If you want to wash your hands and be really present with that experience, I would call that a meditation practice. You're washing your hands? Washing your hands. meditating while you're... How many times when you wash your hands are you thinking about something completely well, different? Well, I'm not thinking about yoga. <laughs> I'm not thinking about yoga. This girl is so pretty and so skinny and so lovely, and it's 30 bucks a shot, and her name is Celine Maison-Pierre, but she doesn't speak French, and her parents don't do yoga, and I loved talking to her, even though I haven't... the faintest idea what she told me thank you so much for coming you were adorable thank you for having me so much all the dish that's fit to air cindy adams is on 77 wabc so in closing let me tell you this little thing this woman rushes to the phone. She excitedly calls her husband she shouts sam you great lover you made me pregnant a moment of silence, and then Sam says, Excuse me, who is this calling, please? 
Talk to you next Sunday again. Same time, 1 p.m. to 2. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.